Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God's grace and peace and joy abound in your life. Today, we live in unprecedented time. We live in extraordinary time. Never has it happened because of the coronavirus pandemic. Everybody is affected, rich, poor, young, old. And many are concerned. Concerned not just about their health, concerned about the future, their job, finance. Things are closing down. In fact, many have shut down. Malls, restaurants, travel. So what do we do? May I suggest, it is during this time, as believers, we can be uniquely, positively different, be different. We can make an impact. Why? Because most people will react out of fear, worry. But for us, we can be concerned, but we can have a different perspective. What do I mean? For followers of Jesus, we believe that God is in control. There are no accidents. He knows what's going to happen, but He allowed this to happen. There must be a purpose. What is that purpose? It is important that you and I believe in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that God causes all things to work together for good. What is that good? If you keep on reading, it's about our character, that we become more transformed like Jesus. I believe God wants you and I, God wants all of us, to use this opportunity to be a blessing to others. For the first time on a Sunday message, we gathered not in one place, but different places, and I heard from our media team over 250,000 clicks or views in our Worship Sunday message. They join us. And that's only people watching. What about their friends gathered around them? The number is staggering. Therefore, the leadership have realized during this time where people are free, they have nothing else to do except what's Netflix. Or you can be a channel of blessing by inviting them or telling them what to watch. You pray for us because we want to use this time to maximize our influence for God's glory and God's kingdom. And lastly, I want you to realize that during this time, don't be afraid. Because God is not just on the throne. God is with you. God is with us. The Bible tells us 365 times God commands us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? Because God wants you to know, I know you. I'm with you. I'll take care of you. 
These past few weeks, we have been discussing the book of Philippians. It's so timely. Because the book of Philippians is about joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. It was written by Paul while he was in prison, facing imminent death. Paul does not know whether he will be set free or not. And yet, he was joyful. And he tells his audience, be joyful. So today, I'd like us to focus on how do you keep your joy? How do you sustain your joy? But more than that, how do you increase your joy? Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, we humbly come before you. We commit to you the reality of this problem, the coronavirus. We ask for your supernatural intervention. Protect your people. Protect us from this virus. But above all, Lord, will you help eliminate this virus and pandemic, especially in the Philippines? Do something supernatural and help your people. We think of daily wage earners. We think of their concern. Give us wisdom how to help them. And now speak to all of us that we can find comfort and joy in your word. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. The Bible tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is the theme of the book of Philippians. We are to rejoice. Always. Again, I will say rejoice. Notice the Bible repeats. In other words, God wants us to be joyful. We owe it to the world to really be joyful. Today, we will focus on the key to joyful living. Grow in Christ's likeness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 18. So together, what shall we focus on? The key to joyful living, grow in Christ's likeness. When I use the word grow, what enters your mind? May I suggest, think of Movement. Think of moving forward, always improving. The Christian life is like riding a bicycle. Two wheels, bicycle. The day you stop moving forward is the day you're going to fall. Therefore, it is imperative that you understand the principle of growing in Christ-likeness, growing in spiritual maturity. Four principles. Principle number one, be obedient. Together, be obedient. Now, by nature, I'm not exactly the most obedient person. I struggled, but I have learned the blessing of obedience. But to be honest, many times I do struggle. Like this morning, I was struggling again with the need to wear mask. Why do I need to wear mask when there's nobody around? When I'm jogging 
or when I'm walking. You see, by nature, I don't like to obey. But by the grace of God, my wife reminded me, let's obey, let's follow. Your attitude toward obedience is so crucial. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, I've never seen a disobedient Christian that is happy. Obedience brings happiness. In fact, God wants us to change our mindset regarding obedience, especially when it comes to young people, children, those of you who are listening, young people, look at what the Bible has to say about obedience. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence, but how much more in my absence. Paul is saying, just as you have always obeyed. Now, what does the Bible have to say about the importance of obedience? Notice what he's saying. Just as you have always obeyed, the Philippians were always obedient. But he's now telling them, listen, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. In other words, learn to obey from the heart. What does the Bible have to say about obedience? Let's read this together. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and the curse. God is telling his people, I have two options. You have two choices. Life, blessing, curse, or death. Then he tells us, choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Notice, this is something we need to teach our children, the next generation, the power and importance and the blessing of obedience. By loving the Lord, he tells us the foundation of obedience is love. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice. You see, when you love the Lord, you will obey. So obedience brings blessing. Say that with me. Obedience brings blessing. This is so true. Notice in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is called written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Do you notice? Sometimes people ask, what do I obey? How do I obey the Lord? The Bible is very clear. You've got to study His Word. Meditate on it. Notice it says, You shall meditate day and night, study God's Word, so you will know what to obey, so that you may be careful to do. Not just to know, but to do. According to all, notice all, that is written. And what's the purpose? God wants to bless you. When I learned the principle of obedience, something happened in my heart. I said, Lord, help me to learn to obey you. Jesus warns us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Today, there are so many so-called Christians. Only God knows if they are true followers or not. But Jesus is telling us why do you call me Lord, Lord? 
and not do what I say. In other words, by implication, a true follower of Jesus, a true Christian, is obedient. I praise God. Years ago, when my children were growing up, they learned this important principle. Joy and my other daughters and my sons individually, at the right time, they came to me. They said, Dad, we discovered from the Bible, they were reading Ephesians chapter 6. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is the first commandment with a promise that it will go well with you. No, my children, individually, in their own time, they told me, we want to obey you. Why? There is blessing. So it's like a mantra. It's like a saying in our family. Obedience brings blessing. Say that with me. Obedience brings blessing. And what is sad is, many times, children are not taught this principle. I've never seen disobedient Christians who are happy. I guarantee you, you disobey the Lord from the heart, you lose your joy. Principle number two, do your part. You must learn to do your part. Not just be obedient, do your part. Now, this is confusing to many people. They've never been discipled properly. Let me explain to you. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, You must obey, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence. Now, everybody read this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation. You have a part to do. But many people think this means you must earn your salvation. That is not what it is saying. Work out your salvation. It does not say work for your salvation. No, no. The Bible is very clear. Salvation is a gift. But what does it mean to work out? This word work out is used to describe miners. When they go inside the mine, remember those days they don't have heavy equipment, manual labor. You go deep into the mine and you get the precious ore. You dig and bring the ore outside. It is used to describe a farmer making the land productive. You want to make sure your farmland will have maximum productivity. So when the Bible says, work out your salvation, the Bible is telling us you have salvation. But you now work it out. Bring it to all that God intends it to be. What do I mean? Look at this verse. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Fear and trembling does not mean you get scared. Fear and trembling meaning it is so precious that you handle your salvation with care. I love my wife. I don't fear her. At the same time, I fear displeasing her. I'm not afraid of my wife. I'm afraid of displeasing her. The same thing with God. It is not saying you run away from God, you are so scared. No. Don't, you and I don't want to displease him because he loves us. I realize love is not being afraid of the person who loves you. Love is being afraid of displeasing the one who loves you. This is so crucial. The Bible is very clear. Notice, salvation is given. Why? It is God 
who is at work in you to will and to work for his pleasure. In other words, salvation is 100% of God. Notice what it says. God who is at work in you. So God initiates. He works in you to will and to work. Notice, even my desire, God initiates my desire. And then work. This is from the word energy. God gives you the energy. The same word use. So God who is at work. God's energy to impact your will. To impact your action for his good pleasure. Salvation is of God. I call this the principle of 200%. What is 200%? The Christian life is not 50-50. It's not 50% God does his part, 50% you do your part. No. Salvation is 100% of God. It's by grace. At the same time, it's 100%. You work it out. You demonstrate your faith. Faith is never alone. Let me explain to you. Let's read this together. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The Bible is very clear. Salvation is a gift. It's grace. You don't earn it. It's from God. So that no one can boast. Everything about salvation, from beginning to end, 100%, God is at work. At the same time, you must do your part. This is where most people fail to understand. The grace of God is often abuse. On one hand, you have legalism, where people say, I must do this, I must do that, in order to go to heaven. On the other extreme, you have licentiousness. I'm saved by grace. I don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter how I live. Both are theologically inaccurate and wrong. Notice what the Bible says. The danger of licentiousness. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand Mark up for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus, He becomes your Master and Lord. There is no room for licentiousness. It does not mean you are perfect. But it means that God has done something. He has transformed your heart. He gives you a new desire. The Bible does not say you become perfect, but the Bible says there is a heart transformation. This is so true in my life. When I came to know Jesus, how God began to transform my heart. And the Bible is very clear. You must work out your salvation. Look at another verse. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. The grace of God. Notice this is God's grace. Grace means what? Something we don't deserve. However, God's grace will do something about your inner heart, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. It does something in your life. It changes you. Not only does it change you, it gives you the power and to live sensibly, righteously. 
That's the amazing thing about the grace of God. It gives us the desire. It gives us the power to live the Christian life. That is the work of God's Spirit. My question to us today is this. Have you seen changes in your heart? Do you really have a desire to do your part, to follow the Lord? A real desire. Has your heart been transformed? It is so crucial because many times we go through extreme. One of my best illustrations is a doctor and a patient. Assuming you are sick with coronavirus, incurable. And then the doctor comes around and he tells you, I have a cure, guaranteed cure. You take this medicine and you will be cured. The doctor says this medicine is expensive. I love you. I'm paying for the medicine. I'm giving you the cure. Will you get cured? If you don't take the medicine, you will not get cured. Salvation involves God's part. It's all his. But you got to do your part. It's like a college degree. If somebody comes around and tells you, I know you want a college degree, but you don't have money. I'm providing the money, the tuition fee, the books. Everything you need. And you can have a college degree. What must you do? Your part is to study. If you don't study, you will never graduate. Salvation is a gift. It's paid for by Jesus. What's my part? Once I accept that amazing gift, God is saying, now that you have the grace of God, show it. And the evidence is obedience. The evidence is you do your part. The Bible tells us, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Many times, Christians are not discipled to do their part. It says, discipline yourself. Nobody can do this for you. No one can take your place. You got to go to the gym yourself. Discipline yourself. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident. God wants us to practice discipline. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you practicing spiritual discipline? Example, the discipline of prayer. Are you doing that? If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, I suggest the following discipline. Prayer. Bible reading. Do you read the Bible? Do you study the Bible? Do you memorize scripture? I review memory verses. It's part of my discipline for me to become more Christ-like, to mature. Are you part of a small group? Accountability. Now, this week alone, we had a small group meeting through the internet. It's amazing. What about worship? Do you worship? Our family made it a habit wherever we are. We have private worship. Every morning when I wake up, I bow down. We worship the Lord. But collectively, one day a week, we gather together. And that's why I want to encourage you. Use this occasion to gather your family and worship together via our Facebook via our YouTube, and invite your friends. And you can send a link. Use this occasion. Do not grumble. 
What does it mean, do not grumble? The word grumble means complaining. It means murmuring. It means dissenting. The Bible says, don't grumble. It's a command. What do I mean? Let's look at the Bible. Paul is saying, if you want to grow, if you want to grow in Christ-likeness, be obedient. Next, do your part. Now, what is your part? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Notice, this is a command, not a suggestion. For Christians, to grumble is not an option. This is in the imperative. Present tense. Stop grumbling. Don't, don't grumble. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Notice, what will happen if you and I learn to stop grumbling, to stop fighting? Remember, grumbling results in dispute. Notice, the Bible tells us, you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach. The Bible says you will be so different. Your behavior will be so different. The people will see that you are children of God. People will see that you and I are blameless and innocent. This is amazing. God wants us to grow in our character, in our behavior. And He tells us, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights. The Bible is not into denial. The Bible is not saying, go to the mountain and be alone, get away from this crooked and perverse, perverse world. No. In fact, the word crooked, immoral, distorted values, mess up, perverse, values are all distorted. Just look at what's happening today. The values of the world is really perverted. We care more for the life of animals than the life of, example, babies. They're even saying, after a baby is born, you can kill the baby. Perverted values. But the Bible is very clear. Among whom you appear as lights. You and I can, be a, can make a difference if we learn to grow in Christ's likeness. Why is grumbling so important in the eyes of God? Why is it so important? Let me share with you what the Bible has to say. Nor let us act immorally, as some of them did. 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Do you notice something? God is equating immorality, testing the Lord, grumbling. These are all sinful acts. And the penalty are very serious. The Bible tells us, do not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So God hates complaining and grumbling. Let me give you an example. 
In Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible tells us, Now the people became like those who complained of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard of it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. Notice, the people became like those who complained of adversity. Grumbling is contagious. It is never in the singular. Secondly, grumbling is really natural. It's our natural um, instinct to complain, to grumble. Take the case of what's happening today. Lockdown, no traveling. I'm sure there are people grumbling and complaining. But for us, the Bible is saying, don't grumble, don't complain, because God does not like grumbling. The, his anger was kindled. God is opposed to grumbler and complainer. Can I tell you why? Why is he against grumbling and complaining? Well, let me tell you why. Because when you grumble, you're really grumbling against God. Many people don't realize this. Grumbling is eventually against God. Look at what the Bible says. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? Moses is telling the people, when you complain against leaders, when you complain against those in authority, you are basically complaining against God. No wonder Jesus gave us the best example. Jesus tells us, the Bible tells us, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. He did not fight back. He did not complain. While suffering, he uttered no threats, kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, to avoid grumbling, I suggest you need to have your theology correct. You need to believe that God is in control. And because God is in control, whatever happens to me, he must be a purpose. He must be a reason. That's why the Bible tells us, what's the antidote? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Notice. Rejoice always. Pray. In everything, give thanks. Thanking God is an act of faith. You are saying, Lord, I don't like what's happening. I don't know what's happening to me. But I thank you. You know, this happened to us recently. I bought a special ticket. It's called Special Economy. And when we were boarding the airplane, I had my seat number, and they told us our seat is no longer available. I cannot believe it. We paid more for this premium economy seat. But Paul told us it was given to somebody else. Now, my reaction was to grumble and complain. But I praise God. My wife reminded me, God must have a purpose. So I was forcing myself to count the blessing. Now, what blessing can you get when the seats that you have reserved is no longer yours? Well, when I went inside the airplane, I saw my seats. They were taken by somebody else from CCF. Praise God. Next, I was happy. I told my wife, we are not placed all the way at the back of the airplane. 
somewhere in the middle. Count your blessing. You will not always know why, but it's an act of faith to count your blessing. You know, I usually teach my children in business, in life, when you're disappointed, you must say, there must be something better. Say, say that with me. There must be something better. That's how you grow in Christ's likeness. There must be something better. I suggest count your blessings. If you have food in the refrigerator, you have a roof, praise God. You are richer than 75% of the world's population. If you have money in your ATM machine or in the bank, you are in the top 8% of the world's population. Imagine, today, if you have spare money in your pocket in the bank, if you can read, count your blessing, you are better off than 29% of the world's population. There are over a billion people who cannot read, cannot write. So count your blessing. And I praise God, in this country, I'm counting our blessing. If you have never experienced danger of battle, loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, or starvation, you are better off than 500 million of the world's population. If you can gather together to worship, sing aloud, you are better off than 3 billion of the world's population. We have many things to thank God for. Let's count our blessing. And lastly, I'd like us to learn to pursue eternal values. How do you pursue eternal values? I really believe God has allowed the coronavirus to set in. I believe because God wants us to pursue eternal values. You see, we have always been busy. We are always, always running here, running there. But I think this post imposed by the government is God's way of telling us, learn to pursue eternal values. Instead of running after money, instead of being so busy, perhaps God wants us to learn. Examine your values. What's your purpose in life? What are you living for? I believe during this time, God wants you to invest your time with your family, with your children, develop relationship, get to know them. Use this opportunity to speak life to your children. These are values money cannot buy. So what are eternal values? Well, let's look at what Philippians 2.16 is saying. You hold fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have risen to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Holding fast. Keep on clinging to the word of life. The word of life. The word of Jesus. The word of God. And the word of life itself, Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Cling to his word. So that in the day of Christ, for Paul, he's always thinking of eternity, eternal values. I will have risen to glory 
because I did not run in vain. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I want you guys to finish well, to keep on walking with Jesus, to cling on to the word of God, follow him, so that when he comes again, you will stand firm. Paul is saying, I don't want to waste my life. I realize what Paul is saying because many times I have the same feeling. One of my greatest joy is when I see people come to Christ. I see them walking with the Lord. But one of my greatest sadness or what makes us sad is when I see people that used to walk with Jesus but now they don't follow Jesus. They turn away. That is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying on the day of judgment, I want to make sure so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory. I want you guys to make sure you finish well. The word vain, this word run in vain, nor toil in vain, this word is something that you need to understand. The idea of a wasted life. The idea of going to waste. Useless effort. I'm reminded of somebody who saved a lot of money. He was working overseas. And when he came back, he had lots of savings. He built his house, a beautiful house. When the house was built, he soon discovered it was built on the wrong lot. The lot was not his. This is a true story. Why do I know it? Because he came to see me. He said, can you help me? Can you tell the owner of the other lot to change? Friends, many times in this world, you exert your energy, your effort to discover at the end of your life, it will all go to waste. One of the vivid pictures I have in my mind is when I saw the movie Titanic. I don't know if you recall a scene. When the ship was drowning, when the ship was sinking, people were trying to save as much as they can. Imagine trying to bring gold bullions, stock certificates, bonds, heavy stuff. But that will not save your life. What you need is a life jacket. All of those things will not save you. And I like to believe this is a good picture of many, many people. On the day of judgment, what will you have? before Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Don't waste your life. Don't invest your life in something that does not matter. The truth is, you will regret. You won't be joyful. Uh, what do we mean by pursue eternal values? A purposeful life versus a complacent life. If you want to grow in Christ-likeness, pursue eternal values. You are conscious of the brevity of life. A complacent life assumes lots of time. You consider life as a gift. 
we take life for granted. A purposeful life, you steward life for God's glory. You are intentional. Complacent life, you don't care. It's self-centered living. It's all about you. You invest your time wisely. You squander your time. Now, which one are you? Well-defined priorities. For some people, no defined priorities. Anything goes. Mindfully busy. Mindlessly busy. What are you busy for? What are you busy about? Take this time to meditate. A disciplined life. A self-indulgent life. The Bible tells us, if you live your life this way, purposeful living, be obedient. Do your part. Don't grumble. Pursue eternal values. You know what's going to happen? Paul is saying, if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. This is a picture, a description, a metaphor of dying. Paul is saying, if I have completed my life work, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, if this is going to be the end of my life, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul is saying, I, have not, I will not have any regret. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. You see, the Christian life is to be joyful. But you can lose your joy if you are disobedient. You can lose your joy if you don't do your part. You can lose your joy if you are grumbling. And you will lose your joy if you don't pursue eternal values. This is the assurance that we have for all of us. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. What an amazing promise. The Bible says God is at work in us. God is at work through us to will and to work for his pleasure. But notice. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. God is able to protect you, to finish well. But do your part. To make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless. On judgment day, this is my prayer. That all of us will stand before the Lord blameless with great joy. What an amazing promise that He is able to keep you and to keep me from stumbling and to stand before Him blameless with great joy. This is all the work of God. Can I tell you something? Jude 24, 25 was written by the brother of Jesus. Do you know the verse before 24? Before he gave them the assurance that they'll stand before God blameless. What is the verse before 24? This is for you and for me. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Save others, 
It's snatching them out of fire. Here's a picture. Paul is saying, without Christ, people are headed to a place where there's fire and brimstone. And Paul is saying, do something about it. It's snatching them out of fire. Because if you and I don't do anything, people without Christ will be lost. And he's saying, please, do something about it. The Bible tells us life is short. During this time of crisis, it's a great reminder. Let's do our part. What is your part? Will you take this occasion to invite your friends, to invite your loved ones to listen? Use your relationship to encourage others to listen. As we close, there will be discussion questions that we will discuss it with you. We will post some questions that you can discuss as a family regarding the message today. To maintain your joy, to increase your joy, to keep your joy. What must you and I do? To grow, to grow in Christ's likeness. Perhaps some of you, after listening to this, you are not even sure that you'll be in heaven. You are not sure that you'll stand before God blameless. You have never surrendered your life to Jesus. You have never understood the gospel. You are never sure that God is in you to work for his pleasure. You have not experienced a change of heart. You don't know what it is to have a new desire to please God. Somehow there's no change. All you have is religion. You don't have this new life. And you say, Peter, how can I have this new desire? How can I have this new energy to follow God? Well, I'd like you to pray a prayer with me. I'd like you to know the grace of God is available. You don't earn it, but you got to do your part. God has offered us everything. He died on the cross, but he's waiting for you. Will you repent? Will you accept him? If that's your desire, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I admit I've been in control of my life. I admit I don't have the joy. I don't have the peace. I don't even have the desire to follow you. But I know there's great danger in my life if I don't change. I come before you, Lord Jesus. I invite you to be my Lord, to be my master. I transfer my trust, my faith from religion, from myself to you and you alone, Jesus. I come to you. Change my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.